Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. You may be seated and take a moment to reflect on God's word. Every week we have an elder that comes up front after the service In case you feel like you need someone to pray for you, we just want to make sure somebody's available. And um, this morning, I'll be up front with the elder. uh, Because it's a heavy moment here in this text, and there may be something heavy on your heart that you would like somebody to pray for you with. And we'd love to do that for you before you leave this morning. As you read through the Gospel of John... When you reach chapter 12, what you're supposed to notice is how John slows down dramatically in his writing. For the first 11 chapters, he's basically skipped across three years of Jesus' life. And then in chapter 12, he really hits the brakes because from chapter 12 to chapter 20, in chapter 21, it's the last week of Jesus' life. So he's got half of his gospel dedicated to three years of ministry and half of his gospel dedicated to one week of his ministry. So you get an idea of his priority, and he, it's as if he's right slowing down, and instead of driving you know, through the countryside at, at 60 miles an hour and just looking around, he slows way down because he wants you to, to capture every detail. Every person, every comment has so much weight. He's, he's hitting the brake so you don't drive by too quickly on what Jesus is doing here in this last week of his life. If you look with me, and it'll be helpful to have your Bibles open today, just notice where we are. Chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover. So in John chapter 11, Jesus does what's called his last sign. There are seven great signs or miracles in the book of John. And the last one is raising Lazarus from the grave. And then in John chapter 12, we have six days before the Passover. This is the last week of Jesus' life. And then in John chapter 12, verse 12, it says this, The next day, The next day, a large crowd gathers, and it's what we call the triumphal entry or what we refer to as Palm Sunday. Then in chapter 13, 
It says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, verse 2, during the supper. So now we're at the Last Supper. We're in the upper room where it's Jesus and his 12 disciples. This is the, the last huddle, so to speak, of he and his, his inside team. And, and he's, the, the next few chapters are all about the dialogue, all about the events that happen in the Last Supper. So before we move into chapter 14, it's critical to understand what has just happened in chapter 13. Because if you just drop into chapter 14, verse 1, you really won't understand the momentum coming out of chapter 13. And really what happens in chapter 13, as John records it at the Last Supper, is Jesus detonates three bombs. I don't know if you're familiar with something that's called a stun grenade. Probably only a few of you would be familiar with it. But it's usually used by like a SWAT team. And they're trying to infiltrate a particular compound or maybe a particular house or a room, some place where there's a hostage or a holdup or something. And they've kind of gotten to the end of the negotiation and they're going to send in this team to secure the, the house. And just before they do, they throw in what's called a stun grenade. And the stun grenade is intended to stun, surprisingly, the people that are inside this house. And it does it in two ways. A blinding light goes off so that if you're looking at or even anywhere near the stun grenade, for at least five seconds, you cannot see it all. And then a piercing sound goes off that creates a massive disorientation to you. So you've got this blinding light, and you've got this piercing sound, and for five to ten seconds, there's a little window that the SWAT team can come in and, and hopefully have more success. And what Jesus does in chapter 13 is he pulls the pin on three stun grenades. And it causes the disciples to be totally disoriented and, and in a great deal of despair. And I want to just mention those three so we understand when, when Jesus comes into chapter 14, you understand the weight of what's happening. The first stun grenade, chapter 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus, he was troubled in his spirit. So what he's about to say has troubled himself. And he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, you 12 men, you 12 disciples, you, you 12 Guys who've given up your life to follow after me, one of you is going to betray me. Boom. They look around, notice, they look at one another. Could, could it, I mean, could it be you? Could, could it be me? They, they fought off all kinds of crowds. They've fought off all kinds of other threats. They're here at this moment in this last huddle, and Jesus says, hey, what? it's going to be an inside job. Talk about disorientation and despair. And you just notice how John, such a great writer, he does this all through the book of John. 
And as you read back through it, as in our reading plan, you'll notice the double use of his words. John chapter 13, verse 30. Judas is the one who's going to betray. He takes a morsel of bread at the Last Supper with Jesus. Notice this. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And just notice what John says. And it was night. Yes, it was nighttime. But it was dark spiritually as well. And it stays dark. If you notice with me, just turn quickly to chapter 20, verse 1. Now, this is Easter Sunday. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And what does it say? While it was still dark. See, this whole passage from from 13 to 20, it's darkness. And John uses the, the real darkness to say there's also a massive spiritual darkness happening in these chapters. And that darkness creates great despair. It creates great disorientation, especially on the part of his disciples. The second de- detonation, chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so I now also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Boom. These 11 men who had given up their whole lives, their their careers, their, their personal hopes and dreams, to follow after this one man who, who they had said, I believe he's the Messiah. He's the one. He's the one everybody's been hoping for from the Old Testament. And now Jesus informs them that he's going to go on a journey and they can no longer be with him. All, all of their dreams of thinking, no, we're going to be part of the tip of the spear of running the Romans out of Israel of overtaking the Roman Empire and reestablishing Israel as the place where God would be king in this country. That's what our hope was. That's what our dreams were. We were hoping that God was going to do something with us to restore himself to the temple and all the world would know who God is because Jesus has come and established his reign in Israel. That's not what Jesus had planned. But that's what their dreams were. And those dreams got shattered because Jesus is going someplace they can't go right now. So they're in a great deal of disorientation and despair. And the final detonation, the hardest one of them all, especially for Peter, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, Peter, you cannot follow me. Not right now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I come? Why can I not come and follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow, will not crow till you have denied me three times. Boom. What event could possibly be on the horizon that would cause Peter, the leader of the twelve, to deny Jesus? 
to reject Jesus. I mean, imagine the, the light and the sound that goes off in Peter's head when Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, the next three words you say in the Gospel of John are going to, you're going to, the next words you say in the Gospel of John happen in chapter 18, and that you're going to say it three different times. I don't know Jesus. That's the next time you hear Peter speak. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. A bomb goes off right here. And, and it doesn't just have an effect on Peter. It has an effect on the whole, all the disciples. Imagine, here's the leader. He's going he's gonna to reject Jesus. Somebody here is going to betray Jesus. It's all chaotic at this particular moment. Peter has to realize he's not the man that he thought he was. And when you realize you're not the person you thought you were, a bomb goes off in your life. You know that the detonation is having its effect because of chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. See, Jesus knows. He knows he's, he's pulled the pin on these three things. He knows that it's troubling. He himself is troubled. And so really from chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, for four chapters, Jesus attempts to untrouble the troubled hearts of his disciples. He lets off these grenades, and then he knows, man, this is tough. This is tough for everybody in the room. It's going to be tough on me, and I'm going to spend four chapters. That's a lot. That's that's 20% or so over the whole, whole book. I'm going to spend the next four chapters just trying to encourage my troubled disciples. Now, we don't have time to talk about all four chapters. So I just want to notice what he says here in these first few verses. But before we get to that, I just want to, to help us understand the text this morning are Jesus' words directed to people who are in despair. Directed to people whose life circumstances have caused them to be disoriented. What they thought was up is now down. And your disorientation or your despair might come, like the disciples, from an unwanted shift in circumstances. Hey, I thought we were going this way with Jesus. I thought my life was going to work out this way. I had my life down. Jesus is come, going to come back to Jerusalem. He's going to take over. I'm going to be in some kind of leadership position. I've got it all mapped out. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not going to go that way. Boom. And some of you have had difficult life circumstances. And what you had mapped out, the dreams that you had hoped for, even the dreams you had hoped for with Jesus, they're not going to come true. They're just not going to come true. And when that grenade goes off in your life, it's going to cause despair. It's going to cause disorientation. Or your disorientation and despair might be because you haven't worked out like you thought. It's not that the circumstances haven't worked out like you thought. You haven't worked out like you thought. You've been a major failure. I don't need to point to the other circumstances. My biggest problem is me. And I had a too high opinion of myself. And, and I've failed like Peter publicly. And everybody knows it. 
And so I'm not just disappointed in my circumstances. I'm disappointed in myself. You're a business person who went on a trip and terribly compromised your witness. You're a college student who tells your friends about Jesus. But one weekend you ended up doing things you're ashamed of. And people know it. Just like Peter, boom. You ask yourself, how can I live with myself? I don't know which way to go. I don't know how to get out of this despair and disorientation when you find out you're not the person you thought you were. So if you're reeling like the disciples in chapter 13, what words do you hear from Jesus in chapter 14? That's my goal here. His primary exhortation, you can see it in the text, verse 1, believe. Believe. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And like a bookend, verse 11, the end of this particular passage, what does he say? Believe. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe, have faith in, trust in the accounts or the signs that I've done. So the first thing he wants to put in his word here, his mind of his disciples, is you got to believe. The first thing about this particular point in verses 2 and 3 is that in my Father's house, one thing I want you to believe, that is in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have I would have told you, but I go up to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to myself. We're going to be together again. So the first thing or he's trying to get you to believe and the reasons to believe one is he's going to prepare a place and he's going to come back and he's going to take you to it. Now, there's. Two things that we can be thankful for and encourage our belief here. One is that this world is not our home. Amen. Now, a lot of us try to make it our home. We try to make it as comfortable and pain-free as humanly possible. But this isn't the final destination. There is a final destination full of joy. We talked about this last week. But this place, this this location is not our home. Two chapters later, Jesus says this. In this world, you will have. What does he say? Trouble. So so we can be the, the, the grenades can go off off in our life. They can cause despair and they can cause discouragement. But Jesus is saying in the middle of that despair, in the middle of that discouragement, don't be so discouraged because this isn't the final place. This life is the introduction to an unending novel. That's all it is. It's an introduction. The real story begins when you meet Jesus face to face. And it lasts forever. Right now, we're just in the few pages of the introduction. But, you know, some people are trying to make the introduction their whole story. And it's not their whole story. And when you try to make the introduction your whole story, and your story doesn't work out very well, guess what? Despair. Because you think, this is all I've got. This isn't all you have if you have Jesus. 
It's just the introduction, and the real story begins when you meet him face to face. So that's one thing he wants us to believe in, to not let your hearts be troubled, to to trust in him. And secondly, immediately after he informs Peter that Peter is going to deny him, he looks at Peter and says, let not your heart be troubled. In my house there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you, Peter. I'm telling you, you're going to deny me three times, but after I tell you that, I want you to know, Peter, I need you to hear me say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Not you all minus Peter, but all of you all, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, I know it's going to be a dark night for your soul. Peter, you're going to go, you're going to fall so much farther than you had ever imagined. Peter, you're going to cave in at a crucial time. Peter, you're just about to find out you're not the man you thought you were. But Peter, I need you to believe that my arm is not too short to save. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I will come back and we'll be together again. You've got to believe in that. Now, I have a question when you get to this place. It may be a question you share. What does Jesus mean when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you? Because it sounds something like uh, construction isn't going too well up on the project up there. And I need to get back and, you know, move the supervisor over and get some stuff going. And it's going to take some time. So you can you hold that's how you that's just my first reading. And that's not what he's saying, thankfully. So, But something needs to be prepared. So what needs to be prepared? I'm suggesting what's not ready, what's not ready is not the room, but the road. How is Peter or anyone who's denied God going to get reunified with God? What road, what way is anyone going to take who has rejected God to somehow believe that they could be reunified with God? What's that road? The answer, Jesus. And the perfect Lamb of God who has not yet laid down his life for the sins of people who live in utter hypocrisy, that hasn't happened yet. And Jesus is saying, Peter... There's a road, there's a way, it has to be prepared, and it's got to go through this way. And when Jesus lays down his life for you, and he takes all of your hypocrisy, stuff that you know, stuff that you don't know about yourself, and he puts it on himself, then he says to Peter and the rest of the world who believe in him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This is how you get to the Father. You get it through me. And you get it through me alone because nobody else can lay down their life for you except for the Son of God himself. So he's telling Peter something and he's telling us that there's the, the rooms are ready, but the road is not ready. When is that building project done? 
When is the road completed? Turn with me, John chapter 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, He says, I thirst, and a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch, held it to his mouth, and when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The road is paved. All the obstacles that lie between Peter and God, all the obstacles that lie between me and God and you and God, They've all been broken down because of Jesus. His perfect life has been given to you. And all of your sins and your defects and your rejection and your hypocrisy of God has all been laid on Jesus. So now there is a way back to God the Father. So he says to Peter, let not your hearts be troubled. Second reason to believe. First is we, we don't want our hearts to be troubled because this place isn't our home. We don't want to be our hearts to be troubled because even if we li- have lived in hypocrisy, God is saying, Jesus is saying, I'm preparing a place for you. The second reason to believe during times of despair and disorientation, really start in verse 8 and go through the end. When you, the reason to believe, the reason to have hope and despair and disorientation is that when you've heard from Jesus, you've heard from God himself. When you're in despair and disorientation, you probably are looking for some way out, somebody to kind of bail you out. And this isn't just any person bailing you out. This is God himself bailing you out. He's saying, you can trust what I'm saying because I'm God in the flesh. And he's reminding his disciples of that. And Philip is one of Jesus' disciples. And he says this, a very, it seems like an odd statement at first. He's in the midst of all this chaos and debris. And he says, Lord, just show us the Father. And that's going to be enough. Now, most Bible scholars will connect Philip's request back to Moses' request. Back in Exodus 32, 33, remember, you can recall the story. Moses up, up on Mount Sinai, he's receiving the Ten Commandments and the law. What's happening around the base? All the people who have been rescued are rejecting God. And you know it because they put all of their gold and silver into a pile and out came a golden calf. And Moses walks down and you want to talk about a bomb going off. I just led these people out of slavery. We're getting manna from heaven. We've gotten water from a rock. I'm in the presence of God. And I walk down, and what are you guys doing? You're bound down to a golden calf. Boom. Talk about discouragement and disorientation. So he hikes back up in the mountain, not surprisingly. And he says, God, I don't think I can go on. This is too discouraging. But here's how I could go on, God, if I could see your face. That would be enough. 
if you could just pass by me in your glory, no matter all the chaos down there, I could still go through all that chaos if I could just see your face. Remember what God does? Hides him in this cliff and his glory passes by. He can't see him face to face, but he kind of sees the trail of him. And that energizes Moses to keep going as the leader. And I think that's exactly what Philip is saying. There's so much chaos here, Jesus, and you've done so many really cool miracles. Could you just do one more? Could you show us the Father? And what does Jesus do? I mean, I don't know, but I'm thinking he's pulling out his hair. And you show us the Father. Come on, Philip. Have you been with me this whole time? And you still don't know that God is passing you by right now? I am standing in front of you right now. And he says it three times in about four verses. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father, we're one. He just repeats it and repeats it and says to all of his shaken disciples, you can trust what I'm saying, that I'm the way, that I'm the truth, that I'm the life. And the reason you can say, trust it is because I am God himself. Do you see that? Do you believe that? This isn't just a... A dad who's got a lot of connections or a rich uncle who can bail you out. This is God coming down saying, I see your sin, Paul Phillips, and I'm going to bail you out. You can trust in me. If you believe that, you can live through some despairing times. If you believe that God came down and he sees very close people to him stand next to a 12-year-old girl and say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. If he can rescue somebody like that, he can rescue somebody like me. And I can trust him, not because he's just a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, because he's a guy who lived 2,000 years ago who said and proved he was God when he rose up from the grave. That's what keeps you holding on to Christ. One of the things that happens in despair and disorientation, or one of the things that happens in pain, is your world shrinks. You know this because if you hit yourself with a hammer on your thumb, what happens? You know, all of your world shrinks down to one square inch of your body. I mean, it doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of your body or the rest of the world. It's my thumb hurts right now. All of my hurt has shrunk me down. It shrinks you and it causes your head to be down. The despair and discouragement of this world cause you to shrink up and to look at your sin or to look at your circumstances and stretch your sin and stretch your circumstances across your whole life. You've done this. You're in a painful situation and you say, I'm never going to get out of this. How many of you said that? Don't raise your hands. Because we all do it. You take an image like a photograph, and you make it a film strip of the rest of your life. And you say, this painful moment will last the rest of my life. Even if it does last the rest of your life, it's just the introduction to your life. Even if it's true. 
that you have to live with some disability, some dream that's broken, some besetting sin. If you weep over it and trust in Jesus, he's going to give you life. And your real story begins when you meet him face to face. Do you believe that? That's what he's asking these disciples. That's what he's asking you and me. Jesus is trying to untrouble the troubled hearts of his disciples. So if you're in trouble, you want to read 14, 15, 16, and 17 and see and hear from Jesus himself. But in this world, bombs explode in people's lives all the time. Somebody tries to blow up a building in London, runs over people, terrorism. Your child dies. You declare bankruptcy. You're in a panic over politics. Your parents divorce. You divorce. You get a cancer diagnosis. Your house burns down. You fail academically or you fail morally. Your behavior in public tells people you don't believe in Jesus. And you find out you're not nearly the person you thought you were. Those bombs happen in everybody's life. And if you're a Christian here, if you're not a Christian here, there is a way to live through that. And there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the truth, and he promises life. But if you're a Christian here, and you're in the middle of that chaos... Believe. Remember the illustration with the chair? It's, it's, not the, it's not the strength of your faith that gets you home. It's the strength of the chair. And Jesus is trying to say, I know you guys, you're in the middle of this chaos. Sit in the chair. Stay in the chair. Strap yourself to the chair. Don't let anything or anyone get you out of this chair. If you stay there, I'll get you home. Let's pray together. Lord, how often my heart has been tempted to get out of the chair. That, that even the way with you seems too hard. And there are some of my friends here, some known, some unknown to me, who are in great despair and disoriented this morning. And they've come here for this divine intersection. And you're telling them just like you've told the disciples in John 14, stay in the chair. Believe. I have gone away. I'm preparing a place. I'm going to take you to myself. We're going to live in joy forever. And you may have to live through 
some disappointment and discouragement in this opening introduction. But trust in me. I'm the way home. I'm telling the truth. I'll give you life. Would you strengthen those hearts who are weak, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.